Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I talk with Ginger Gaffney. Ginger is a renowned horsewoman, trainer, and teacher, as well as the author of the best-selling book, Half Broke. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Okay, Ginger. Well, welcome to the Horsewise Podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. We really are looking forward to talking with you. Thank you, Lynn. It's good to be here. So I'm going to totally put you on the spot and ambush you with a story about you for my listeners. So it is entirely, entirely your fault that I do this podcast now. And the reason for my listeners uh, is that I met Ginger, I think it was about 10 years ago, something like that. She was a really well-regarded horsemanship teacher and instructor that I had met through another barn in, in Texas, you know, great barn. And uh, she was sort of presented to me as somebody who was really unusual and refined horsemanship, yet also really down to earth and kind of funny as hell, which I also discovered pretty quickly. Uh, Ginger is not like a somber person. So, uh, and I, I took some lessons in clinics with, with you, Ginger, and it was really meant a lot to me. The people who follow my podcast know that I started out as a complete sort of dork, adult amateur. I completely embraced that brand. That's really worked for me. And, um, and Ginger was one of those people who really sort of inspired me to keep going deeper into horsemanship. So much so that I actually flew to New Mexico to spend a few days with her. I wanted to learn from her. I wanted to shadow her. You know, she had this glamorous life, you know, teaching and training. And she had told me about this work she was doing with a detention facility called the Lancy Street Foundation, that they had, um, you know, some horses, I guess, that were fairly feral. And um, she was helping them restart a horsemanship program for the inmates there and the residents there. And so I was like excited, I really wanted to observe. So I'm following Ginger, who's like my, my mentor, like I'm so excited, you know, and, and I'm following her to these glamorous places where she rides and trains. And then, but I really wanted to watch her work with, you know, the folks at Delancey Street. So I was excited to observe. So we go there and uh, I immediately was drawn to all the people and the horses. The horses were, they were so kind of off kilter. They were just odd. You know, they had this kind of odd confirmation and they had these kind of, you know, super intelligent eyes, but very, very, very aware, yet very kind of worry at the same time, kind of skeptical. And the people were just like them in different ways, right? They all had their kind of odd sort of presence and things, but they were incredibly, I could just feel the focus. And I'm like, well, I'm really gonna learn some stuff here. And Ginger's like, oh, hey everybody, come around in a circle. And this is my friend, Lynn. She's going to teach you for the day. And I was like, what? what? Like, what? That's not happening. Like, I'm not a teacher. And you're like, you're totally ready to teach this. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a total student. So I looked at these, this group of the horses and the people. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm all in. And I started teaching. And um, I really, I never expected the outcome of all of that to be that I continue to teach that day teaching, I had never done anything like that for this topic, for this kind of subject, for horsemanship, for something that I felt was really kind of sacred and for like, you know, people like you. And, um, and just to have those individuals as my first students, again, both those horses and those people, I was completely unselfconscious. I was so impressed with their grit and the fact that both the horses and the people had everything on the line, everything to lose. 
it was so high stakes. And I, I mean, at the end of it, I couldn't, I, I don't even know what I said to everybody, but it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And it changed the trajectory of my life, Ginger. So yeah. I went back and I was like, hey, you know, I think I could teach. And yeah. so I started teaching. It changed yeah. the program at the charity. I started taking in interns. And then I eventually started teaching people through Horsewise and coaching because I couldn't teach enough people through the, I, I, you know, I couldn't have just people coming to me and going, I want to be a lope intern. I'm 43. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work <laughs> program. So thank you, Ginger. I just wanted yeah. to give that to you. I, I knew you, I read somewhere that you wrote that, I think somewhere. And I was reading it uh, a while back and I, I, uh, I don't know, you know, in the horse world, it's like a guru world, you know, mm -hmm. you know, every like you're a little a mini gods for people who are really struggling with their horse stuff and they are so vulnerable, the owners, and they want so much. And it almost turns us trainers into like these little goddesses. And I, ref I refuse that. Like I refuse that. I, I, I want when I meet people who I think are especially women who I know are really capable, who have it. That, that that it factor which you have and I was like what are we waiting for <laughs> I mean as women we wait a little too long you know and so I'm like let's do it and then I remember also that trip when you were here I threw you in, in front of a couple of my students and you taught them too I don't know if that was before or after it must have been oh, after remember it was that after it was yeah. after that's right that's right they were super yeah. great students too but yeah by then I was an old pro I'm like there's not 15 of you, you're on, you're on horses that actually, you know, don't seem to have psychotic splits in their personalities. So we're all good. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing about those, the residents at Delancey Street, though, is what I knew walking in uh, when you came in, which I didn't say, but it's they, they are such sponges and anything that anybody can teach them is a good thing. Like they can meet another normal person who has a normal life, who wants to give the parentheses <laughs> normal. And, uh, but they, that's, they thought I was the most normal thing that they'd ever seen. And I was wow. like, and you're yeah. like, you, you got to get out more because it's not <laughs> really the truth at all. I, I know you well enough to know what a crock that is. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, there you were like, and I was like, that's not, let's not miss this opportunity where they can like have another fresh human being in front of them they can get inspired by they that's how open they are you know yes, yes you know they just take you in and they don't get a, a lot of outsiders you know so here you here you were you walked you were out an outsider that came in they don't get hardly any outsiders that they're allowed to come in there so you kind of came in through me and I was like let's use it this yeah. is to our advantage. <laughs> well, and, and really, I think the big thing that I took away from that was not, oh, I helped these people. It was like, wow, what an yeah. honor to teach them. And also yeah. uh, the I you just can't feel sorry for anybody in that circle. No. I mean, they they all were again, they were putting it all on the line and yeah. and the horses, too. It was really everything was at stake. Yeah. And um, and they were so good for those horses and the horses were good for them, but they were especially good for those horses. And and you brought that out in them, too. So yeah. I I just couldn't have asked for a better first experience. Intro. Yeah. yeah, a better intro. And, and it, to some degree, you know, I mean, I probably think about that experience every time I work with a horse that's particularly off kilter or a person who might need, um, you know, something a little different or who's coming from a bigger trouble that hasn't 
really been obvious before, but there it is, you know, it's coming up. Yeah. And um, I hate the whole demigoddess thing too. Um, I'm really uh, reluctant to ever be in that position. That's why I talk a lot about where I came from, which was really, which was really kind of a dorky place. And, but also it's because I feel like, you know, everybody can, can do this, you know, the, the focus and everything. And what I want is for people is to help people kind of learn how to coach themselves and to be focused on their horse and aware of their horse and themselves and develop yeah. that themselves, not to turn to me or to anyone to tell them yeah. what to do all the time. I hate yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, there you go. That that's my big story. And I took up the whole intro because it's my podcast and I just get to do that. You can. It's, a, it's just a total power trip for me, but now let's go to like a normal kind of start to this. And just for my listeners, can you tell a little bit about your background? And then we're going to go into your amazing book that you wrote. So my background, I'm a, I think 27 years now in the horse training world and the horsemanship world. Um, Started back in North Carolina a long time ago when John Lyons was coming and he was the only clinician traveling at that time. And I would go try two hours back there, back east. That seems like a long ways away, two hours uh, to, 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 to work with him and, and his very young son at the time. Josh, I think, was probably like 10 when they were traveling together. So I did. I worked in, uh, in that avenue. And then when I moved out west, uh, I live in New Mexico. Uh, and I've been here for 25 years. Um, the, uh, th you know, there's so many, I can access so many good trainers out here. So I quickly started working with Buck, going to his place in March every year to start cults back when he was doing that. I don't think he's doing it anymore. And kind of just became a groupie. Uh, you know, I was, I was working with clients here, but I was still a student you know, I was working on my toolbox mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, I'm still that way, you know, like, like today, yes, today and yesterday kind of blew my socks off what I learned. <laughs> What'd you so, learn? What'd you learn? Oh, how to do less and get more, you know, wow, that's, that's, how so it cool. goes. <laughs> that's how it goes, <laughs> you know, not, not more, but less. And so I had a couple, couple horses that really needed me to back off. And when I did, I got so much more you know um but anyhow that, that's a, a western horsemanship it's, i don't really call it natural horsemanship but western horsemanship from the kind of new perspective that used to be new and i don't think it's that new anymore um and then there was a time when i knew that i had gotten about what i could get mm -hmm. from the people i was studying with and i wanted to really um I needed to learn something new and totally different. And I got into classical dressage with a French classical instructor and then a couple other French classical instructors. And I spent seven years engrossed in that study and uh, while I was still teaching and doing natural Western horsemanship. Um, and I don't know, it's been a long time now that I've actually gone and been a student at a clinic. Um, because at some point, you know, the students are the horses and the right. students are and the students are my students. Like, how can I get better? How they teach me all the time how to get better. And um, so both of them are always teaching me. So that's where I'm at now. But I spent a lot of time studying even while I was uh, training and teaching. Mm -hmm. um, so 
right now, um, I feel like my studies is in writing, like not writing, but writing. So that's where I feel like a beginner in my life again. And I like that. I like being a student. I'm much more comfortable mm -hmm. being a student than I am being somebody. So like with writing, I'm learning is I just keep learning and learning all the time. Um, but, but, but from mentors, I have, I go and I do workshops. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very actively like on Zoom taking classes in writing now. And, um, oh, cool. Yeah, whereas I don't need, feel like I need to do that with the horse stuff. What I really need to do is be present, show up. You know, I got a pretty big, I think a pretty big toolbox. It keeps getting bigger. And I think I can work with so many different kinds of people and horses that I'm comfortable in my work now. Mm -hmm, you, know, mm -hmm. you know, I don't need a mentor anymore. Right. Does that make sense? And it I does. think, you know, for your listeners, that some people probably at some point you have to listen to, man, I, I've got some things here. And then just focus on yourself um, and what you're doing, develop some kind of program that keeps getting better and better. But at some point you have to jump off the ledge land, right? And do right. it. So. Right, right, right. Or yeah. you get pushed in my case, yeah, a little bit. Right? <laughs> I've always felt like, well, particularly recently that um, I work with interesting horses uh, through the charity that I, I do. I, I don't do it quite as full-time. I'm more part-time there, but I'm still very active. And I work with horses that raced a long time at the track. So they didn't retire from the track to age eight, nine, 10, 11, even 12. They've raced, many of them raced over a hundred times and yeah. they come off the track and, and they're huge personalities. And um, sometimes they're, you have to excavate those personalities, but when they come out, they're always big. They're always like, Hey, and uh, they have old sports injuries. And they have a lot of braces because they ran the way they ran, whatever way, like if you run like this, all whatever, the, you win, they're not going to go, hey, we should probably correct his biomechanics. And, uh, and, uh, and they have like zero flexion in their jaw and all these things, but they're really good horses. And they're really great for teaching, well, teaching me how to teach better, but also teaching some of the interns how to really understand when a horse is processing something mentally and how it changes them. Even the simplest groundwork is very profound. Some of these horses yeah. can't do more than that, depending on their injury level. Yeah. And, and so we find them really inspiring. And then of course, through the HorseWise program, through the coaching, I also get to work with so many different types of horses. And I find that that's really who I'm paying attention to the most, you know, I yeah. still go to, I mean, I'll always be going to clinics to learn, but I don't go to as, as many. And, um, you know, I really feel like you're right about that, that at some point you have to maybe take responsibility for your own program and always recognize that you're going to be improving as a teacher and improving as a student of the horse, but that it's also important to uh, develop your own kind of combinations of things. And that's what's so great about these interviews for me, I guess purely selfish is that I get to talk to people who have been doing it on a, a deep level that I admire, but I also get to get these sort of creative discussions going. So thank you yeah, for yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that inspires me is like when my students feel really empowered, mm -hmm. like, like 
um, I just ended up getting a business partner. I have another woman that we're, we're working together and we call ourselves legacy horse training. And it's, and the idea of legacy isn't my legacy or our legacy. It's about my students' legacy with their horses and what oh. they want, what they want to build with their horses. And it matters to me more and more that I empower my students that they really be like, you would want them to get so good. They definitely don't even need you. Um, but the biggest part I do is like build them up, you know, and and I, I have seen their riding and their horsemanship just hugely grow. The more I focus on making sure they feel empowered because so many places in the horse world, people do feel so disempowered. I, I feel, you know, um, they are confused about what's right there's so many things different things to you know and then they feel like they're in absolute love with their horse and they don't want to do the right thing so that makes them feel like really vulnerable like am i doing the right thing and really i spend a lot of time being there going you're doing the right thing good job like like that was excellent and i don't i don't know uh, i think that's one of the benefits of working I don't do as many clinics anymore because I don't get to the one-on-one -on -one and I don't get to give as much to people. Mm -hmm. and, and I have, I'm flooded with individual students and I love it uh, because like, it's, it's really about them. And I'm getting a little older, like I'm 59 and I still think I'm going to be doing this because as long as I can till my seventies. Um, but I'm going, I, for, I'm going for 90s. I'm going to be. Are you? Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. You yeah, can have yeah. it. You can it's, have it's it. It's on. It's on. Yeah. <laughs> I make it to, to like 90. That's crazy. But um, whatever. But I'm going for it because one of the things I noticed uh, is like none of the male trainers like cut themselves off at a certain age. All those old guys are still getting on top of their horses with their microphones on, teaching away. That's going to be me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you can do it and also be healthy, which is another thing that maybe sometimes <laughs> is, isn't happening in the male clinician world. Sorry, male clinicians. A lot of you guys really need to, you know, re-examine the diet thing. But, um, you know, yeah, I agree totally. And one of the things that I always will say to people I work with is, is I would really like you to be able to outgrow me, like preferably by Tuesday. That would be awesome. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I see no reason why that can't happen by Tuesday, possibly by the end of this lesson, you know, go yeah. and take this and, and put it into, you know, your relationship yeah. with your horse yeah. and go much further than I did. That's a really reasonable goal, I feel like yeah. in every respect. Yeah. And um, that's what I want. You know, yeah. I don't, I, I think one of the things that can be really difficult, and I remember this from when I was first starting out, uh, just as a person who rode horses in lessons, group lessons in the suburbs, is, you know, as you get more serious and maybe you start leasing horses and boarding horses and the trainers that you're working with, it, it can be a really difficult job to be a professional trainer. You have to, or you feel like you have to produce a certain show result or a certain kind of horse that you sell or a certain kind of student who has results. Yeah. And so that competitive nature of it, I think can be, um, it can be a little bit intimidating for people who just really want to be close to our horses, which is 99% of right. the people who have horses, because if you didn't want to be close to them, just get a four wheeler. I mean, so much less expensive and everything, yeah. right? So, yeah. and I think that there can be a lot of confusion again, like I'm not doing it right. I suck, you know, yeah. and I need to get 
you know, more lessons or more expensive horse, or I need to, that's how I demonstrate that I'm serious. And I'm like, you know, just the relationship is what's important. And I wish I had had somebody who, who could, could have told me that then, and also showed me a way for these very fundamental ways of, of being aware of your horse and understanding things about your horse. And then also how you work together as a partnership under saddle, rather than having to do certain things a certain way that would have really helped me. And I certainly, I certainly got that from you when I was kind of further along in my journey. Um, But there wasn't, there there weren't tons of those people. You had to really look for them. No, there's, there's a thing about, um, you know, and this is the thing that's it gets a little of the the trainers that are show trainers that that are going to and have clients that are showing so that so much of the economy of that that trainer is based on not just the show results but having a lot of students that they take to the show because that's kind mm-hmm. of how they, they make most of their money um and so it gets a little stuck there, you know, because the economics are really based on you, you. You're giving these people lessons. Let's say you have 15 students, you're counting on at least 10 of them going to the show, and it's those three three day shows five times a summer is 75 percent of your income, and uh, and it's 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 just a uh, it's just the way it works. So like the other way it works is like you don't focus on the shows and you focus on helping that 90% that you're talking about that really think they might want to show, but really what they want is relationship with their horse that they, and that they have to say vulnerability, the level of vulnerability that people feel because of their passion, you know, for horses. I mean, it's so, so huge. And sometimes vulnerability kind of peeks its head into ugly places because vulnerability is so hard. Um, but my experience is even when people are kind of like a little mad at their horse or little, I can always kind of find a way to get them to, to show me some vulnerability and then they're there, then they can show back up for their horse in the way that they need to. And without, without breaking them down, without making them feel bad, just like try to get a little bit of counseling, like try to get involved in well, what's going on for you. Right. you're looking you're looking frustrated and let's let's talk about that let's stop for a second talk about that what's going on and then to sort of dig around in that a little bit and then a lot of stuff comes from that you know so that yeah. vulnerability is really it's really there in the horse world i don't think i hear a lot of people talking about it but that love and that passion makes the depth of it makes us feel so vulnerable how much we want it that's it you know how much we want it and i think you and you 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 know it i know it i like 30 years ago i was riding every day of the week you know just trying to get it trying to get better you know yeah you know and and i think it's this idea that i'll see a lot in the people i work with whether it's the young interns or or horsewise clients it's this idea of uh, I got to catch up. Like I need to pour it on because I have not been doing it right. Or I haven't been doing it enough of the right things at the right time. Yeah. And in this emotional come up and I talk about the, I suck and my horse hates me syndrome, which is really like nothing good comes from that. Like I know but everybody wants to just go there. Like, ah, I did, I, I, I didn't get I my diagonal. I suck. And my horse hates me. It's like, you know, that's probably not happening. <laughs> and, and that whole range of thought just this is not going to help you find what you, what you're looking for. So I try to use humor a lot in a quiet yeah. way, not laughing at you. Usually it's laughing at myself or kind of pointing out, 
you yeah. know, your horse just maybe thought you're having, you know, you're having a little physical social awkwardness there for a minute. He's already forgot about it. Like seriously, yeah. you know, now if you were to beat him with barbed wire, he'd probably hate you, but we're, we don't do that in my program. So you're, you're good. Like it's not yeah. going to happen. Like you're safe from that. He's not going to hate you for that. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah. No, I agree. It's, it's a lot that comes up and I think that there's still a, there's a purity about horses that touches something similar in us and something I think of it as um, to me, horses always brought out of me a sense of, I want to aspire to something better and bigger or more important, getting back to something that's really key, really yeah. elemental. Yeah. And that's not a place where we, a lot of people spend a lot of time on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I feel very fortunate that my work allows me to do that. Sometimes I wish I had a really superficial job and I was watching Netflix on those harder days, you know, when you're getting way too much information from that horse. Um, but I just feel like that's something that the horses really have always um, given us. And, and it comes with a price that we have to learn really how to understand our emotions and also maybe be a little more zen and detached about it and not, not get so like hung up on the emotion itself that we can't kind of change the perspective. And that, that's what I like about the horse. The horse is like that ultimate reality. You know, the horse just kind of brings you back if you allow yeah. it to happen to yeah. what's really important. Yeah. So I used to say to myself along and I still, probably, yeah, probably even last week, like the only reason I do this is that, uh, so I can be a better human being. It's like, yeah. You know, I used to like, that's why I got into horses. I really needed some help. And they just kept, kept, I knew it was, I was going to get it through them. Nobody else knew it, but I was like, <laughs> I got it. I got to get a horse. And, um, and, and now even like on a bad day, I'll, I'll say, remember what you got into it for. That's you really cool. To, yeah. Really cool. Well, let's talk about your book. Um, because you mentioned, of course, I kind of gave it away anyway, but um, you mentioned that you still feel like a beginner, beginner's mind with, with writing, not writing, but writing. Right. Yes. And, and I found that to be a really interesting statement. I know that when I first knew you, you would often introduce writing, ex writing exercises in your small clinics, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Yeah. And you had also talked about you know, that you had always written, that you had, that had always been a big part of your life long before I think you thought of a book. Mm -hmm. And so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that, about your writing life and about your book, which I think well, is really yeah. an incredible book. And I am a hard sell. Okay. So I don't <laughs> like most horse books really are pretty oh. awful. Right. <laughs> and, and I loved your book and that's not just because I know you. So I really did love it. Yeah. So. So I think the writing, well, I have been writing and I really particularly like poetry. And again, I think I did, I do some writing exercises in my work with horses and some of my clients, because again, it accesses those deeper places that I think people have, like I have. And there's not a lot of time for that when you're teaching how to do a turn on the forehand. So I would like make some space through writing exercises uh, and I still make some space for the students that seem to want to do that. I offer it and if they say yes, okay, I'll send you some uh, some sample like questions, things I want you to write about. Um, but anyhow, uh, I 
I don't have, a, I didn't have an undergraduate degree in writing, but I have an MFA now. Um, that, that MFA at the Institute of American Indian Arts helped me write about half of my book. And my book is called Half Broke. Um, and it is out. You can get it at your bookstores and you can get it on Audible, audio books and Audible and Amazon, but you know, you might want to not use Amazon. So. Um, <laughs> but you can use Amazon if you want to. Um, anyhow, it's published by W.W. Norton and it came out last February in 2020. Uh, and now the paperback version is out. Um, and But how I got to go into the MFA program was sitting on my porch and my partner, Glenda, she, uh, I was like, I feel like, I feel like I'm a little, uh, like, I feel like I need some inspiration. And I started, you know, looking again at what else I need to do with horses. You know, maybe I need to go to Florida and do this course. And she just looked at me and she said, Ginger, you have your PhD in horse. Why don't you look into writing, go back to school in writing. And that was it. Like, I was like, nah, I'm not a writer. So, but but that would inspire you to just just to be able to go back to school and start writing. So I didn't have I didn't have the book in mind, but because of the MFA program, they expect you to have half a book by the end or somewhere around a half a book by the end of the three year program. And so mm -hmm. so so there I was working. Um, I was in, enlisted in my MFA program to get my poetry degree, and within the first two weeks. These, uh, these stories that I write about in Half Broke started pouring out of me. And so I had to switch over to nonfiction and they took me, they took me in. And, uh, and so that's kind of how the book got started is because I was thinking that I needed more inspiration in the horse world. And Glenda was like, no, 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 no. You, should, you, should. <laughs> you know, and I, I listened to her a lot because she's guided me a lot in so many ways. So I don't always listen well, she says, but I, I just, I just that's, that's, a, that's a classic spouse situation, partner situation. It's like we yeah. never hear the advice from the people who are closest to us until yeah. finally we do. So. Yeah. So she likes to take credit for the book, by the way. Well, good for her. Yeah. She's good like, for her. Yeah. She's not shy. She's not I, shy. I remember I remember talking to you. I think this was one of the first times we met in California back at the Anya Baran clinic. Oh wow. Yeah. And I remember talking to you and you said something about I heard you wrote a book. And I was like, yeah. And and you seemed like really like, wow, that's great. And I'm like, ah, anyone can write a book. Like I was just like, because if I could write a book, believe me, I write a book. And uh and and I, I was like, do you write or something? I can't remember. You were just like, ah, I would never write a book. And I was just like, why not? Like, I just, yeah. you know, you're funny yeah. and smart. And obviously, you know, I mean, you seemed pretty cool at the time. And, and that, that that assessment did, did, did continue to hold true. So, but, um, so yeah. yeah, I'm surprised to hear you say that, that you thought I would, I'm not a writer because you obviously always were. I don't still don't think of myself that way, even with a published book with a New York author, I mean, a publishing house, I still prefer to, I still don't feel that way when I'm around writers. I'm really reminded of that. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm actually a, a better writer than I thought I was. So I got, I think I have some natural talent. I was told that in my MFA program. And if I just hung on to some of my natural instincts, try not to um, school away your natural instincts, uh, you know, by trying to be a real crafty writer and all that. So um, I just, I like writing. It takes me to a place that 
you know, it takes me into something. And I like being kind of deep. I like to go and be mm-hmm. taken. I like to be taken by something. Horses take me every day, one by one. And writing's a kind of similar way. It's like, I'm not conscious. It's it's coming from some other place. And mm-hmm. and I like I like traveling like that. That's, that's like I, I think I feel comfortable there. I'm not as comfortable in like social, you know, where you have to be social and do all the other things that society wants. I'm not very, I, you know, I'm a little better now, but I was terrible about it when I was younger. So the book I'll say is about my time at the Delancey Street Foundation where Lynn met all the residents and the horses. And it uh, takes place for the first year and a half that I work over there. Um, trying to help a really troubled group of horses get along with a really troubled group of people um and it's i think it's i like my book you know like i wanted to write a book that i wanted to read and i did it and i did it you know oh and there's so much detail with the horses and i I think a lot of horse people would really love it a lot of horse people love it so yeah and i I agree i think it's it's horse books aren't my favorite form of literature you know so but uh, i mean i worked really hard on this book to make it literature yes you know? it. yeah it's it's literary it's yeah. it's not it's not just a uh not, not there's anything wrong with journalistic but it, you know it could have been more of a journalistic type of book and it's it is very literary and there's a lot going there's a lot going on under the surface and and the way that you write about it, I think, is particularly profound to horse people, but it's also profound to anyone who is, is looking inward at any time, which is everybody on the planet, whether they choose to, whether they choose yeah. to admit that or not. And yeah. so I think that, you know, I met some of the people and I met the horses. So of course it was especially evocative to me. Yeah. But I don't think I think it, it would be for anybody. And um, so in it for my listeners, it's beautifully written, but it's also it's also very gritty, you know, like it's, it's a yeah. book that really pulls you in on both levels. Yeah. Um, and if you don't mind, I know you've probably told this story a lot because it must be a classic story that that people ask you when they interview you about your book. But I remember you telling me about the first time that you went to Delancey Street when a couple of the residents had called you saying, we need help with horses. I don't know if they'd gotten your name off a flyer or how they found you. I don't remember. And what you found when you went there, what the horses were like. Oh, that, yeah. So they, uh, I said, they said to me that they were always getting hurt. The people were always getting run over by the horses at dinner time. And, and it was four, four 30 in the afternoon. And, and I was like, at dinner time only? And they're like, oh, no, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I was like, oh, food. Okay. So the horses are all out in this pasture. It's about a 12-acre pasture, I think. And the corrals are on one end. And so is the hay barn. So the horses are all out in the pasture. And I say, okay, well, let's bring them in. Let's, let's, let's see how it goes. And the, 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 about four or five of the guys open the hay barn and start running out into the corrals and uh, throwing the hay into the troughs and running as fast as they can back to the hay barn. And I'm like, what's going on? And and I was over by this cottonwood tree, just kind of watching the guys come and go. And then all of a sudden, the 
all of the residents, there were about 12 of them there, they started screaming at me to get in, get in, get back in the barn, Ginger, get back in the barn. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Run for your so, life, Ginger. <laughs> and I turn and look up and they're all, the horses are coming. They're coming fast, you know. And so I got back into the hay barn. It was one of these barn doors, a half, half door, you know. So we were all behind it, stuck in the hay barn. And the horses ran right up to us. Wow. And with their mouths open with their uh, ears back with their heads flat and ears back like 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 we were the food like we were the food and we had to like back up and they were snapping their teeth and and, one, and then i think i write about in the book one of them like really spits all over us and oh, and, yeah. and when i'm like cram, <laughs> crammed into this hay barn with these people watching this and uh and so eventually they they walk off into their corrals, the horses. But this was the routine. And uh, anytime they would feed the, in order to not get hurt, they, they'd have to throw the hay and then run into the hay barn, you know, um, to, to avoid getting hurt. And it didn't always work. People were getting hurt. Um, but then the horses go back into the corral and they're eating. And you can hear it's real quiet. And the guys a couple of them all sneak out of the hay barn, like like hunkered down like thieves at night, you know, and run over to the gate real quiet, shut all the gates. <laughs> so now we can come out of the hay barn. <laughs> so. God. And in the pasture, I, I'm not sure if I saw the whole place, but is it kind of in, it's in the middle of that operation? In, yeah, it's like all integrated into the campus, right? Yeah, so that's right. It's right. like a giant quad. So it's not like yeah. they're... Right. around the corner at the back of the place so like they would they would encounter the horses on the day-to-day -day, like uh -huh. yeah. yeah it was very oddly set up where they had all these workspaces cabinet shops and ceramic shops because they make all their own income so they have all these workspaces and they would the summer they would leave all the doors open and you know i would be driving in to teach them and i'd look over to the cabinet shop and three of the horses would be in the middle of the cabinet shop with the saws going <laughs> taking Jeez. taking a nap taking a nap like yeah, there's no no boundaries no separation of space at all that's that's totally safe too it's good safety yeah. practice for everybody especially for carpentry and you know machinery and horses yeah. that's good okay. that's good <laughs> And I couldn't really break them of that habit. So what I did was I bought the horses all fly masks so they wouldn't get sawdust in their eyes. <laughs> because they they really liked them. They the 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 people really liked them being in there. They didn't know any bit. They thought that was normal. Like right, so right. be in the cabinet shop and you'd have to step around all the horse manure because the horses would <laughs> come in there to like get out of the flies and, and it was nice and cool in there, but they didn't care those saws were going off and hammering and they were just in there taking naps you know <laughs> I, I love that your solution was we need to get them fly masks because it actually is weirdly working and to undo this isn't going to happen anyway so let's just let's protect their eyes yeah. you know, sa safety goggles the equivalent of safety yeah. goggles for them in the carpentry shop it was uh, it was such a weird new normal that I, I i stayed there for seven years helping them uh but it became such a normal to me and so I'm like even going about writing the book I had to come back to the knowing that like you know I gotta write like this is really what happened and this is gonna freak a lot of people out like how these horses were cared for um and they were really cared for they, they were, were just yeah. yeah I saw yeah. that like that yeah. that was clear and I don't know how long you've been there it wasn't it wasn't 
it was less than a year, I think, when I went Probably. there. So it was yeah. summer of 2013. So yeah, yeah, so, so yeah. It's really new. I, yeah. I first went there in March. Okay, wow. Well, so really yeah, yeah. So there was a uh, already so much. You could tell that the horses were, were, had always been well fed. You know, obviously, because you know that's what they did with them was feed them quickly. But they were well fed. They were in good condition. You know, yeah. and but no, I, I really, I really felt that. And I am not from a tradition that is. You know, we have leather halters on the horse, and they're in the barns with the fly spray and the fly sheets, and you know, it has to be just so, you know, horses don't care about that, right? And so it was pretty clear that that group of people were the right stewards for those particular horses too. Those horses yeah. needed something, you know, that was about the commitment and resetting some boundaries, but also about a certain kind of relationship that I think that those, those, in, those residents gave them with the constant care every day. The constant yeah. interaction was really good for those horses. And, and really uh, good for the residents, you know. Yeah. It was it was equine therapy like you've never seen it. Oh, I know. It was full contact equine yeah. therapy. It's what it was. It was like, this is not, this is not your like, you know, 4-H gentle program. It's like it's it's the real deal. But it was yeah. it was good. I, I found it again in a in a completely non-saccharine sense. I'm very much not a Hallmark person. You know that. I'm not like yeah. a Disney person. <laughs> It was it was very um, inspiring and it was wholesome in its way. It very yeah. very much so, because again there was no artifice involved. No one was there going, I really want to uh, get a lot of attention for the way I'm handling this horse. It was like I I, yeah. I want to handle this horse the way he needs to be handled. I don't know what that yeah. is, and we're both yeah. having a huge meltdown right now, but we're yeah. doing it together and we're going to get through it yeah. together. And it, all of that stuff was just. To me, it was super honest and yeah. just what those horses needed. Yeah, so. so moving. So, so moving to see, like, people really at their, yeah, they were pretty much at the end of their lives. This was a, this ranch pretty much saves lives. They take in people who've been in and out of the prison system for a very long time. And so they're pretty young. The group, you know, they, 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 there are some older people there, but they, they go for younger people. They go into the prison system and interview people. And that's, uh, well, they don't even have to do that. They call from prison to Delancey street to see if they can get an interview. It's mostly men, but it's, there's a, you know, 50, it's out of a hundred residents, there's about 15 women. I had quite a few on the program. You know, it was a really good mix of students. Um, but yeah, they, you don't, you know, you don't get to work with people who have that much on the line. And like you said earlier, no fear. No fear. Like, no fear. No like, fear. I remember there was one horse that um, he had a problem with his left hind. He was a bay horse. And um, uh, I can't quite remember his name. I, I know. I think it's Hawk. I think it was I Hawk. I think it might, it might have been Hawk. Yeah. And yeah. he, he, I was kind of working him on the end and the person that I was with was like, I don't know. And I was in her ginger called across. She's like, Lynn is left hind. I'm like, I know I got it. I see it. I yeah. see it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's going to blow. I got it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and he's like, lady, I got this left hind. I'm like, I know we're going to, we, we, but you know, we got to this point where we need to discuss this. Like it just needs to yeah. kind of, you know, I, I'm going to support you, but that means I'm not going to, I'm not going to step back right now. I'm not going to, you know, uh, yield my space. I'm not going to push yeah. into you, but I have to. And he was like, 
Yeah. And he kind of had this moment and I just kind of helped him over it. And I'm like, it's no big deal. No one's upset with you. You just, but you can't do it in my lap. Just not a, a good role. And then afterwards he was so like, like he just, yeah. he had this moment of just letting down and it was really yeah, quiet. Yeah. And that lead rope got really soft. And yeah. the person that I was with was like, you know, it was, it was, it wasn't crazy explosive, but if you haven't been around horses, it, it certainly seemed fairly, you know, active. Yeah. And I kind of looked because I didn't know if that person would be upset. And the person was like, yeah, that's what I did two hours ago. <laughs> he was just yeah. like, it's just like, I totally yeah. get where he came. Like, it was no big deal. Yeah. Like, there was yeah. no, no, oh my God, this horse is scary. It's like, yeah, I know what yeah. this is. Yeah. That, that was something yeah. that those horses needed too. Because if, if you brought in somebody who, who was, you know, a competent horse person, but who, um, would have found that very scary or very, oh my God, that horse would have had so much more trouble. And yeah. that's and that's why I say those people were so good for those horses because I don't know what it would take to phase them with an emotional display, but it wasn't that. They, yeah. they were perfectly no. non-judgmental too. Right, right. No, yeah, there's nothing wrong. They didn't think anything was wrong with those right. horses. <laughs> there was a lot. There was a lot to think about that was wrong, but they didn't know any better and weren't afraid but in a, in a normal situation if you try to kick you like that the owner would be like you know what's wrong with him kind of thing you know like, that's wrong that's wrong behavior and, the, and these people are like no I acted like that today with this guy who came up to me and pissed me off and I wanted to kick him in the face and I get it <laughs> kind of attitude I know I'm like I'm like, that's, you're easy to teach. That's great. <laughs> like, I mean, my job's so much easier, you know, not that I had a job. I was just there for the day. I'm just saying that I was so impressed with that. Yeah. It's just really straightforward. I really yeah. gained more from those, from that day than they did from me. Yeah. I, I, they gave me more than I gave them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that so, was, that was something I worked pretty hard to get into the book about how, how changed I, I became you know, mm -hmm. and how much, I mean, uh, I had a hard time at a certain point being over there where I actually didn't want to leave. I was feeling like that was a way better world to live in than the one that I lived in at that time during, you know, in the regular life outside mm -hmm. the, outside the prison walls. I, I would rather have stayed inside it. Um, and, uh, I moved away from that. I started kind of like figuring out that I have a place in the world, but that, that they were like shelter for me for a, a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had some hard things uh, going on with some of the ranches where I was working with some of the coworkers that I was working with. And I was really having a hard time. I, and there, I felt like there were so many people lying to me and that was the one place that I always felt like the truth was right there. You know, I, mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, um, so you know, it was, and I, I got just healed in so many ways there. So not healed and permanently, but, <laughs> but not, yeah. not healed, not healed so much that you can't write another moving book. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you are working on a second book. Is that correct? I am. I am. It's a, uh, I don't know. I've got a few chapters in, but I know exactly what I'm writing about. And, uh, uh, it'll have very similar themes because, uh, you know, I, I don't really want to talk about it because I, no, I understand it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of in but a it, sacred, sacred place right now. You've got to kind of let it form itself. And that takes privacy. Yeah, yeah. The, book, the book itself yeah. needs privacy as it's being formed. Yeah. Cause it's still really early. And I, I, I have idea. I have, I know what it is I'm writing and it's, it's mostly fiction. 
what stems from the beginning phase of the book is a, a nonfiction experience that I had a couple of years ago, and uh, and then I move off into fiction. So, but if I'm writing about similar themes, I can like I don't know. There's something that like they say, write about what you know and write about what you love. Mm-hmm. And so that means for me, I know horses, so horses will always be in my books. <laughs> and, and I love horses and they will always be in my books. And also I love horse-human interaction and how that, that creates such a dynamic space. So I think I'm a Western writer. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And this is something that happens a lot on my podcast, but we've been talking for almost an hour. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yeah, and it's gone. Uh, it's gone. That's just boom how it goes. And um, I think that at some point, maybe later in the year, I know you have a really busy schedule. We'd really like to have you on again, because I have a rule. I don't like to go much beyond an hour because I That's feel right. like, you know, people yeah. have their own, um, like you have, I know you have a whole life there that you're trying to get back to this evening, but I love what you just said, you know, about writing about what you know and what you love and how horses both for you. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then the interactions between horses and people, the, the depth of experience, the insight, the philosophy, and just the, how those things come together is an endless, endless, fascinating thing. And um, when you don't have to be, again, a horse person to love your books, enjoy your books. But um, for us people who are in the horse world, I, I predict that your books will become something that we all want to read all the time. So I'm glad you're working on a second, second book. And I'm looking forward, you know, yeah. Lay down in the future whenever it's ready. To- well, that, well, you can have me back on and I'll promise to read you a piece of the new book. Oh, that's a total incentive. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, great, Ginger. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And um, is there anything you'd like to end with? Any like huge words of wisdom that will like amaze everybody? Not to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I... I was talking to Lynn about less is more for me because uh, I had some big experiences in these last couple of days with horses. And as a trainer, I think we're all taught to like, and as riders do, do, do like fix it, do something, do it. And in the last three days, I learned how much I still need to back off in my riding and training and how I need to make space for the horses to guide me. Um, and that sounds a little ethereal, but I do think there's ways we can listen better as humans to our horses and slow ourselves down. So that's what I would want to leave on. Oh, that's great. And uh, I know for myself this last year, um, I got a lot quieter. I have a busy mind. And so what you're saying right now is something that is especially resonating with me. So those, I thought I was going to throw you for a loop and you wouldn't have anything eloquent to say. And (laughs) as usual, you showed me up, which is great. So Uh, uh, take care, Ginger, and uh, we'll be talking with you soon. Okay. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Ginger as much as I did. If you would like to check out more about her work with horses and her literary endeavors, please go to her website, gingergaffney.com. And please check out her book, Half Broke. It's available at all major booksellers. The book has received so much critical praise and accolades, including being a New York Times editor's pick. 
at Horsewise, I teach you the horsemanship habits and tools to guarantee you long-term success with your horse, no matter what your discipline. I'm very excited to announce that as of June 1st, Horsewise will be releasing a new course and coaching package. For more information on that, as well as to receive a copy of our free study guide, please sign up for our email list at horsewisecoach.com slash sign up. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.